Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. Get ready for some awesome. Do you try to make that loud every time? I was way away from the microphone this time. You know what? Just project. You you do? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what else could help you project? What's that? Is if you had an all-in-one podcast publishing software. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I'm actually sponsored this month by Acast. Acast? Which is a competitor. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. Podbean. (laughs) Podcast hosting offers a simple, affordable way for churches and religious organizations and leaders to share their messages. With the Podbean app, sermons or other teachings can be recorded and published directly from your phone. So people like Richard Beck can record directly from his phone while he's teaching class at the Highland Church of Christ. That's true. He's, he was very interested in that. He did and sound like, I don't know if the brand that I'm spouting can, can no, do that. No, it can't. But you know it can? Podbean. And if you want a discount, my listeners get one. Podbean.com backslash newsworthy. They'll hook you up. There's a link in the notes. How much is the front. discount? It's, it's good. <laughs> I'm just trying to throw off your pitch. Why would you do that, man? <laughs> Podbean. An all-in-one. Well, there's nothing else you need. Podbean, that's it. Um, on to the wrap-up. Jonathan, do you have your, um, your equipment plugged in? Last time we recorded the entire podcast, and your headphones were not <laughs> even plugged in, but you were wearing them. Do you really want to go to the scoreboard on who's messed up the most podcasts? I don't think I've messed up many. What are you talking about? You remember, like, December, we had to redo the whole thing? Well, I felt like that was just kind of a warm-up, you know? No, okay, we recorded, well, in theory, we recorded, I recorded on my side, and... Well, you know, let's not get into specificities. Because um, you would lose, that's exactly the point, because you would lose. Okay, okay, anyway, enough. Um, your, uh, I, did you take it as an affront on your preaching that the very person who works in the office with you, Deborah, uh, the administrative assistant for the worship department at your church, decided, I don't want to listen to Jonathan preach Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to drive to Austin <laughs> and worship with the Westover Church. Do you feel like that was because she saw your sermon notes and said, this is going to be so bad, I need to go somewhere else? No, she said she tuned in via live stream to us while she was at Westover. That's not possible. She was sitting in the seats. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think she just... I can't. I can't remember exactly the word that she used to describe her experience. Hor- horrendous or something mm. like that. And the singing was great. She loved the singing. She was a big mm. fan of that. Communion was, you know, like it is around the, with the saints around the world. It was just really one twenty-five, thirty-minute segment that we ha- we had a really long close by our host that week. That's probably <laughs> that's what it. she's referring to. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I mm. hope. I hope uh, to fix their theology that you've messed up over the coming weeks. How was Easter for you, man? It was good. We did a a really cool thing. We had, uh, I think it was nine people from our congregation whose first language is not English. Yeah. And we had them uh, quote uh, part of the Luke text that, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And we had people who spoke uh, Mandarin, Kirwandan, Swahili, German, 
uh, Spanish, French, American Sign Language. Uh, and so it was really neat to have a bunch of people speaking their native language. Uh, and it was just, that was my highlight of the Easter Sunday for us. Preaching Easter's great, isn't it? No, I feel like there's so much pressure. Do you really like it? I love it. Well, I that's... love it. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Easter. I feel like you can't mess it up. You know, okay, I, I the other side. Do. The other side is, it's the good news that we have, but for some people, you feel like each Sunday you want to have something new and fresh and innovative. And Easter, Easter Sunday, is new and fresh. And I know, it's but the you, only new and innovative thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. I know, but if you just say the same words every year, the same message, you, by your laziness, somehow devalue the good news that's being proclaimed. You're like, uh, uh, Well, I guess if you're lazy, then so I could see why you might not what like do, Easter. What prop did you use this year? A uh, door. Hmm. I had a door from the AC Theater Department that we borrowed to talk about how Jesus could go in and out of... You know, he he can go where you lock the doors mm, that's in a, John 20. That's really adorable. Oh, gosh. Gosh. Mm-hmm. This is the best. This is your, your high heat you're throwing right now, too, isn't it? No. No, that's not, that's not the best I could do. So you, you had Andy Crouch, finally. You're a legitimate Christian podcast. <laughs> finally. Welcome. Well, welcome. You, you know, Andy and I feel like we, uh, we got along pretty well. Is he not great? Yeah, he's really good. He is just—he's an amazing guy. He's super talented, and um, I, I, I'm a—I'm a big fan of Andy Crouch. Yeah, I don't think <clears throat> the feeling's mutual, but I—I I think that uh, I really like him too. Yeah, there's um, there's good guests who are have good content and who've written well, or maybe have a big platform or whatever, but. I think there's like the, the kind of guest that Andy is who has a lot of that stuff. Like he's accomplished a whole lot and he has a lot of good things to say, but he's also like really engaging and th- like Walter Brueggemann, just a, just a great guest in terms of yeah. content and conversation. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. He was one of my favorite people to have brought in and got to spend the, the weekend with because he was just, he doesn't feel like he, he thinks he's, Big, big time. He um, smokes what he sells. You know the that chapter on singing. Let me clarify that. Did you guys smoke together? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, we did not. It's a metaphor. Okay. Uh, that chapter on singing. You know, in a technology book, isn't that surprising that there's a chapter on singing? Yeah. Um, well, I I played for him a song that I had written, and he's the only person in the ever to start singing along with me when I was playing that song. And now reading that book, I'm like, oh, this is like a discipline for him. I feel like I've heard this song that you wrote. And I think part of it is that he's he's a musician himself. And Mm -hmm. maybe he was just trying to um, protect his his ears. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? I listen, and I just, you know, I'm going to suffer through, I'm going to, I'm going to sit with this. Suffer, suffer through. I, I didn't mean suffer, I meant sit you? with. Uh, How dare you? And participate in it, so. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you meant. No, it was, uh, it was. Have you made any changes in your own life? I, Leslie and I literally have, have started making changes. We bought a, uh, a device, 
uh, charge place, um, like a centrally located place in our house to put our devices to bed. Bought an alarm clock, so I don't use my iPhone to for your alarm. Yeah, Do, what have you is, done? Any, what's what's the difference since you've done that? Well, you know, give me a beat. Let me tell you, after a month or two, what the <laughs> not 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 that kind of beat. So, I mean, I'll tell you after I do it for a while, but I can tell you, like, uh, just the thing that I think his book does and why I liked it so much is it's not an anti-technology book. Yeah. It is a compelling vision for life that makes you think, I would rather have that than what I've currently got now with all my gadgets. Yeah. No, it's... Eh. Yeah, I think the the critique that some are going to have of the book is that he comes across like he's too Amish, in the almost almost Amish. Yeah, but he, he literally says that that's part of the the book. But I, I think in a more general sense of okay, he lived in a Christian commune for part of his life, yeah. had a shared checking account, didn't have a screen for his kids until they were ten years old, and you go, oh, okay, that's neat for you to do that, and you're like this far out person that doesn't have any connection to what most people live day in and day out. And so they might dismiss what he's trying to point towards because you read that and you go, well, I, yeah, well, fine, that's fine for you, but I, I live a normal life. I have screens for my kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I guess the question is, how's normal working out for you? That's a good question. Because yeah. the, the part of the book that I, I got the most out of was in order to live a better kind of life, you're going to have to make choices that your neighbors aren't making, even your neighbors in church aren't making. Mm-hmm. And um, that, the stuff that he said, wonder and joy and greater humility and wisdom, those are all like core values for my family and I. Yeah. Like, and, and so, you know, it, it's been a week, so this is very limited. I, I hope to have the discipline, Leslie, I hope to have the discipline to stick to it, but... <clears throat> Moving the TV, not going to watch it every night uh, or, you know, even most nights. Hold on, moving um, the TV? Moving the TV out of our living room that is, into a yeah. a room on the edge. That's crazy. Um, I moved our TV recently because I got a new wall mount that's adjustable, and so it moves mm-hmm. based on where I'm sitting in the room. Very similar. Okay, yeah, well, you know, there's... There, there, there is some similarities in the TV is like physically being moved. Yeah, but I, and you know, I, I honestly don't have any kind of high horse to talk about this from like judgmentally. Give me a few months before yeah. I come back and here's where the high horse that. that I will have someone on talking to me is his statement about often the screens are not for our kids but for ourselves. Oh right, it, yeah. It's not in the example that I gave you when you <laughs> frantically called me. When I was turkey hunting, and I need I need a I need an intro with Andy. I didn't say I need an intro, but it was just it was frantic, frantic. First of all, I'm, I'm not frantic. I don't react. I respond. You are. Technology has made you that way. No, I don't. Hold on, let me check my yeah, Twitter. Just, let me see if someone likes me. <laughs> um, but it's often <laughs> spoiler alert. They don't. <laughs> 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 that's good well played the <laughs> the but the technology isn't for them it's for us and his statement yeah. that like your kids will create be more they don't need a screen to entertain themselves they have the ability to do that you give them the screen because it's easier for you yeah that's that that's a 100% fair indictment on some of my parenting on occasion where i i want to 
turn off my parental involvement and I give them a screen as a way to say, all yep. right, just, just watch this and I'll be fine. And there have been times I've done podcasts when uh, Lindsay was working, I used to work from home. I'm like, all right, we're going to turn this movie on. I'm going to podcast. Don't interrupt me. And just, yeah, yeah I get it. I've, I've totally done that before too. How about the fact that Amy, his 16-year-old daughter, wrote the foreword? Well, she's been held hostage. She hasn't been given a TV until she's 10. She's not going to talk back to him. She's like, if he took TV yeah. away for 10 years, what is she gonna, he going to do next? That's Stockholm syndrome. That's not like, you can't doubt. Like there's no court of law that's going to be like, yeah, that, that, that's a valuable witness. No, Stockholm oh, syndrome. Gosh. The, I, I, I thought that was one of the best parts that, you know, she's the one saying this really is worth it yeah. and it's good. Because I think the long-term effects of what technology on our kids as babysitters um, does is yet to be determined, but I don't think it's going to come out. It's going to shake out good. No. Um, yeah, I, can't, I, I, yeah. I, I have a concern for what churches are going to have happen to them the longer we go to like the satellite campus model and you just see a preacher on a TV. And if I have mm-hmm. concerns about that that I've voiced multiple times, do I not think that will have the same effect on my kids, because they've grown up with phones. And you and I didn't get phones till, co- uh, I don't know when you got yours, but I got mine in college. And it wasn't... Yeah, me too. We, you didn't get smartphones until your mid-20s, probably. And I remember showing mine to Ryan Christian, the worship minister at the church we both worked at at the time, my iPhone, and him saying, this is like something from Star Trek. <laughs> and just, you know, because I was the first one to get it. At of course. Ministers. I stood in the line and... Yeah, I mean, are you not a huge gadget guy too? No, I'm not a huge gadget guy. I don't think I am. Okay. Compared to you, no. Okay, so maybe I'm. I mean, maybe this book was written for more me than you. Well, I'm, a, I'm not a tech. I'm not a gadget guy, but I still find myself being obsessed with staying on social media or checking my email. If like the biggest, <clears throat> the biggest thing that I've taken away is there's some line about what do you do when you're bored? And I was sitting in some line. I thought, oh, I'm going to sit down and grab my phone. I'm just going to see what the Cowboys are going to do in the NFL draft next week. And I go, no, just sit here and be bored for two minutes. It's not going to kill you yeah. to be bored. Bored is a modern inter- innovation. Yeah. People used to not be bored. And did Andy have your number or what? Every time he kept mentioning ice cream and eating alone ice cream i thought about all the stuff you've shared about that's your thing yeah i've given I, i'm now publicly sharing i've i haven't had ice cream since ash wednesday because what uh when he was at highland did he did he talk about ice cream or something else yeah i can't remember <laughs> it's been so long yeah that's weird it's been so long <laughs> well i don't want to like whine about him calling me out but i know that he was definitely right i love me some ice cream and it works whatever but um, yeah, the, but his his great line is, and I've taken it forward is there's there's nothing wrong with the technology of ice cream. There's something wrong if you're eating it by yourself every night, uh, <laughs> watching TV. <laughs> Were you just like listening to him chowing down on Rocky Road? First of all, it's called Big Rig. Uh, second of all, yes, no, uh, no, he's right. I'm, well, that was a good podcast. I'm glad you you got him on. Yeah, I think we'll definitely. Uh, you and I have talked about probably preaching a series on technology together, and I think that would probably be the go-to book that we'll, we'll start with. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of other books that I have used in sermons, uh, I did a sermon on grief uh, 
not too long ago, and I definitely um, used some of the stuff from Jason Jones's book, Limping But Blessed. And that's... Um, and that was a, a heavy podcast, man. Yeah, yeah. I, someone sent a <clears throat> message on Twitter, uh, and they said, yeah, I still haven't gotten over that one from last week. And I think that's the right response. I think there's just a weight that comes with it, and I don't... Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was one of the more... Uh, Prof- no, I don't know if profound's the right word because you've had a lot of profound guests saying, but there was just a, a heaviness to it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, hearing him talk about Jacob, talking about when people would talk about God's sovereignty, the way he felt yeah. was it made him, you know, he, he got obviously justifiably so choked up talking about how he doesn't want his son to be expendable. Yeah. Um, it was just heavy. I, I feel like every pastor needs to listen to that, read that book. Um, one, because of the level of honesty that he has. I think that's the reason it like seemed very profound or, or heavy is because there was no filter. Like He wasn't trying to mm-hmm. a- accomplish something. He was, it was just authentic in his writing and in his speaking about it. But I feel like all of us who, who try to say, thus said the Lord, uh, week in and week out, um, before we say, "Thus said the Lord" regarding suffering, l- let's let's hear Jason's story and understand the way that people are processing this. And um, I mean, Jason's you know the worst nightmare. Uh, and, and I mean, yeah. it could happen to anyone. Like I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was cutting, um, I was cu- like cutting sweet potatoes. So I had a, a big knife on the counter. I set it down and I go and put it in the pressure cooker or something. And I leave that knife sitting out and. It's like, like it is not unrealistic for a terrible tragedy to happen where my a daughter ask, accidentally grabs a knife, something terrible happens, and all of a sudden everything that you like you hold dearly falls apart because like, how do you move on when the world's ended? And that's what you have mm-hmm. to feel like when your, your kid dies. Yeah. I, I was impressed that him and his wife have gone through this so well. Yeah. You know, most of the time, couples in whenever a, a child, they you either you either blame mm-hmm. and, and and tend to separate and divorce, or you turn towards each other and grieve together. And I, they're kind of the textbook case of, of doing that. It seemed yeah, like uh, that, even as they walk through differently. And I think that's the key. I think the key is you let your spouse deal with grief differently. If there's anything obviously we talk about the Enneagram all the time, but whatever personality profiling system you, you ascribe to, we know that people are all different. And I think that's one of the things he says in the book is that his therapist had told him early on that the judgment comes when you expect your significant other to grieve like you do. And that's just not real. Like, mm-hmm. We don't do that. Some it's going to be demonstrative and expressive and others it's going to be very contemplative and quiet. But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe you could speak about this, but how do you keep from turning towards versus turning away? Like, how, I don't know, how, we, how would you counsel someone if they're going through grief? And they said, all right, Pastor Jonathan, how do we stay on the same page instead of turning against each other, which is such a common move for many grieving couples? Man, I would, I would send them to a professional, like what they yep. did. I mean, I think the, 
you know, the, the spiritual part that pastors might be able to help with is just the human tendency to blame and justify yourself and, you know, to separate. But the, the reason not to do that is because of you, you're keeping your child's memory alive. You all know the stories. You held him for the first time. You held the, the child. You know what I mean? Like the, um, so there's a, a spiritual significance to, to that, and and then, but I ultimately I think I would, I would say, get professional help yeah. to help not I, do that. That's that's a very smart move. Um, my dad, I don't know if it was my dad or I learned it in undergrad, but someone said like there's a like a one or two session limit. And then after that, you refer people to a professional. And, and I like yeah. to go even faster yeah. than that. I mean, I, there are people who really know what to say. And I bet the people who come to your office would like to go faster than that too. 10 minutes into it, they're probably like, is there, is there someone else that you could you, send You feel me better to? about yourself after that comment? A little bit. A little bit I do. Well, um, you know, someone sent me said something about how did you hear the drama in the NBA about how Shaquille O'Neal keeps making fun of this like backup center for the Golden State Warriors named JaVel McGee I, man I'm telling you I don't watch TV well anymore. like Shaq's a he said he's a Hall of Famer top 50 player probably top 10 I know who Shaquille O'Neal is and this guy's is. like a backup center and Shaq kept picking on him and they're like you know that's that's like bullying and someone said Luke you do the same thing to Jonathan so don't don't mm-hmm. pick on him anymore. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to. And that's part of the reason I felt bad for how... Um, Who said <clears throat> that? Someone. That's... that. Yeah. Which, which is kind of why I feel bad for what happened on the Richard Beck podcast. Because I, I kind of hate that he, he went... Yeah, I feel... I, I, I hate that he went after you like that. He went after me? You know... I mean, a little. I mean, he said some things about you. That's what I feel yeah, bad Yeah, the for. stuff he said about me, I, I was actually feeling pretty good about. It was the oh. stuff more from your end that I felt like threw me under the bus. Well, I mean, m- maybe you just needed to be there. I think that's that was the problem. Yeah, I, I would have... Kind of got lost in translation. Yeah, I think the, the part that got lost is really in between your ears. The, the, the conversation he had was very different than the one you're imagining. When, when, okay, like when he said that uh, he would espouse a theology of lingering in a young person's mind. Did you take that as a way of saying that the most important things he hears are not the things that are said in the sermon, but are things that are said in the hallways afterwards? Uh, I, I actually would concur with that. I think one of my favorite parts about church, I thought about this when, when I'm going to ignore your, your little jab there. I, when he said that, one of the things I thought about was that's why I love church. And I don't know if it's an extrovert thing because I don't think Richard's an, extrovert um there's just a, a and I, there might be different terminology i i think it's the holy spirit that's at work when we are gathered together in jesus name that just being around each other seems to give um there's there's a spirit among the community of god's people that i don't sense in other places and so i love that i love just lingering around being available um, now you're exhausted afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, are you exhausted afterwards? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I 
I think it's important to be present and to like, I'm usually one of the last ones to leave the auditorium worship center. Um, but I think that's important like to connect, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I usually rush home after the second service, take a little nap and then third service, uh, at night I'm, I'm pretty dead to the world after yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think there's value in connecting and for some, like you want to just duck into church and then get out and you don't want to interact. And I, I get the introverts of the world and how that's like super uncomfortable for them and they can find community elsewhere. So I wouldn't want to say you have to do that to be, you know, a good Christian Nor do I think Richard would say that, but I do think being connected to people who are on a similar journey to you is, yeah, I mean, it's essential and just to sharing life. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the place where you get to bear one another's burdens. And, you know, if it's all programmed out, which I'm a big fan of order and, um, you know, having having kind of parameters for our gathering time, but the, the real life of church stuff happens in in the atriums too. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, and I, I mean, that's why I just finished up doing my lunch group, uh, going through my sermon for Sunday. I think the life of the sermon comes from the interaction. I think that's the the priesthood of all believers. I don't know if you just saw this blog. Uh, there was a blog that went out that was criticizing Jen Hatmaker and saying something about how bloggers don't have any oversight by church. And so they're just willy nilly. And, uh, it, there's, and there's a lot to it. I, I read it one time, but I've seen a ton of people on Twitter talking about it. And it, it seems to devalue almost like, you know, you need to have a seminary degree and you need to have a, a, a title that goes with your name to have a voice. And I feel like, especially in our tradition, like there's always been a high value of the priesthood of all believers. Yeah, that is that, true. That is true. That like we, we all have something worth saying. Yeah. And that's not to say that giftedness isn't important and that you, you need to be prepared for what you're going to say, but I think everyone's got a voice. Um, I think of the Down Syndrome boy, Brian, that led worship at the church I grew up at. And just, that, I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no way of, of replacing that, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's something more that's going on. So when he talked about uh about the right to preach Easter. Mm-hmm. You're okay, if uh people have used the I think Beck uses the language of winter Christian, summer Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh you're definitely a summer Christian. Am I? I think I'm an autumn Christian. The uh, awful <laughs> wait, autumn. Autumn Christian. Maybe both. Okay, thank you for. Uh, I, I think anytime you try to divide it up into two different categories, then you know you, you've got some people on its spectrum. I understand, but your your Calvinist best friend AJ Swoboda, <laughs> uh, who will be at Highland this <laughs> week, true. he you know there's Friday, Saturday, Sunday Christians like he's already. Cre- it's a conversation started. It's obviously not the conclusion of the conversation, but as churches, we tend to be summer Christian. Centric, and so we jump to Easter without ever having, as Beck would say, the right to celebrate Easter because we don't celebrate Good Friday and the death. Yeah, no, I love I love this stuff. I actually think that's the right way to take it because Christianity is a paradox, and um, you can you can the resurrection is good news for the hurting and suffering and mourning people of the world. Um, yeah. and the you know I I think growing up working class like below the poverty line, um, we talked a lot about resurrection. And so in that sense, I am um, a summer Christian because it was our, our whole lives were oriented around hope. You know, things mm-hmm. are not always going to be like this. 
Um, but you know, now thinking about Jacob's story or Jason's story about his son Jacob that was on this month and mm. those kind of things, those are just move you deeply in cliches and you know, God there's nothing you can say in the face of something like that that no. makes you not and, be able to deal with it. And my parents didn't do that. My parents were you know, I went to a ton of funerals growing up. I was in the hospital a lot. Suffering was riding, you know, death, even though we didn't know it at the time, the opioid crisis that um, is happening in poorer regions was already claiming the lives of people that I knew and cared about. Yeah, so. yeah it, I, I, I love the paradox of Christianity that there's both of them there, that there is resurrection, there's the hope. And the Christian— And there's also— Go ahead. What were you saying? The Christian calendar is actually a really good corrective for all the ways that we take it to its extreme. Yeah. Because we yeah. Christians have to deal with Easter, and summer Christians have to deal with Lent. Yep. Yeah, they go together. Mm-hmm. And rushing past one to the other is, yeah, it, like you have to have it all there. Yep. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get the full effect if you're not having it in conjunction with one another. So Yeah. So yeah, that's good. tell me more about Pope Francis reading Richard Beck's blog. Is that a legit thing? No, I don't know. I don't think there's any way to substantiate it. But there's a thing about uh, Pope Francis being connected to a laundromat. That, that's the only connection. There's, there's no way to authenticate that. So just, other than, let's just assume, because that's a really cool thing. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's whatever. I love, I love that idea. I wish we could do that at Highland like right now get get a laundromat and invite our neighbors because we're in a, a lower socioeconomic part of town invite our neighbors get our middle class members to stop just using their washing machine and dryer and mm-hmm. wash clothes together what you have 400 kids <laughs> that would take you an entire day if you had a laundromat oh, probably or, or less actually because you got so many washers it would take oh, me yeah, an yeah, entire yeah. roll of quarters it yeah, would not take me an quarters. entire day. Yeah. Huh. All right. Um, you want to talk about uh, Jason Miller? Yeah, I really liked him. I'd never heard of him, although I'd heard of the church that he's from. I had some interaction with him like 10 years ago. Really? Yeah. How did you get to know him? Just the internet. I, I think we just became internet friends, followed each other or whatever, and then, uh, you know, that works. I wish we were internet friends. That seems like it'd be easier. You know how you can like mute people. Mm-hmm. How many people do you have muted on your Twitter right now? Uh, do you have anyone muted? No, not really. Oh, wait, I have people. Not really. Not really. No, I don't think I do. The hmm. mute is where you follow somebody but don't have you don't see their stuff. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that, that's what it means. Okay, good. Okay, so our friend Jason Miller, who is not muted on my Twitter feed, <laughs> said that as a musician, his initial inclination was to write sermons as songs. Have you ever thought of that? I had, and I loved it. What do you love about it? Well, I mean, it makes sense. It's an organizing way of, of making the sermon work that's not um, three points in a poem, but it kind of comes back to the same thing, gives examples. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to try it. I think it, you know, there's a book, The Sermon is Symphony, that I had to read in college, but 
I honestly don't remember much of it now. Yeah, I, I think his idea that that formula for how a song is written has lasted the test of time, that like people still like that, says there's something about that that I think should connect with people. Yeah. I find myself jumping into a, a routine where I often give examples in threes. Yeah, right. It, I mean, like that makes sense. Rhetorically, it works. Yeah, like it, it just poetically it goes, oh, yeah, for this person and this person and this person. Yeah, okay. And we can all jump in there because there's something. There, there's, there might be a conversation to be had about like the deeper spirituality that are in some forms that we have in common culture with the song being one of those forms. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, it makes sense to me, and I thought it was actually pretty, a pretty great idea. Um, mm-hmm anything's an improvement to the form that you currently use, which just, doesn't make sense on, on paper, you know, that all, all different fonts, just, it's <laughs> all an improvement. No. So what do you think about his stuff on church being a place to lose your faith? Well, I think Where you like a lot of people have lost their faith. <laughs> listen to my, no, I think the, First of all, it gives people permission to question. Mm-hmm. And in the absence of honesty and community, I think people are more likely to give up on spirituality. Mm-hmm. And creating space for those conversations to happen in a healthy way, I think is kind of like what the tradition of Scripture kind of points to, where there there's ability to lament, there's a, an ability to question, and that happens in community. The, the, the thing about... After the resurrection, I think in Matthew's gospel, it says um, uh, they, they gathered to worship, but some still doubted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were still part of the community. Like, they're still in the group. And some are worshiping, some are doubting, but they're all together. Yeah. And, you know, lose your faith. I mean, I, maybe that's kind of strong language, but to, to question your faith, to wonder if any of it's true. Man, I, I would hope that there would be pockets in every church that would make that a safe place for people to, to do. Yeah, I wonder why why it is that that has, it seems like in our church cultures where un, unbelief or people doubting or kind of lepers is it worried? Are we worried about some kind of contagion? You think that's a good that's a good connection there. Maybe so. Like if they doubt, then we're going to doubt. And yeah, like not doing the hard work of of actually looking the questions in the face. Yeah, I think that might be part of it, is that you have this kind of this Jenga mentality where it's all stacked on top of each other. And if one person's in the room pulling out pieces, then we haven't differentiated our faith and the different tenets of our faith from one another. And so mm-hmm. if like a style of work, like in our, in our tradition, the Church of Christ, well, if instrumental music isn't a sin, then what else isn't a sin? You think this slippery slope's going to pull everything apart? And I, I think there's just been a sense that it's like a... Uh, you're voting for a party, not for individuals. And so you just go, oh, I'm all in on this version of Christianity. And if one part of it's not true, then all Christianity is not true. I, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges that I would have, I th- or I would like to make, is I think that in order for church to be a place that you can lose your faith at, because his logic makes sense, you know, it's that's a traumatic event. The, the many friends that I have who have lost their faith in Jesus, it has been traumatic for them. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they accidentally pray and those kind of things. Because it's oh, just yeah. so, you're, you're so baptized into that. 
it's hard to come out of. So I, I that logic makes sense. But one of the challenges that I think we face, um, you and I and and other people who pastor churches like ours, is okay. But as long as you're not just talking about ideas, like remember what Beck said in Reviving Old Scratch about how his faith had largely become an intellectual exercise. And mm-hmm. and one of the things I honestly think churches can do in order to not just help people lose their faith, but also to rehabilitate it, is do some ministry. Get out there in, in the suffering of the world, of which I think Christianity has the robust, most robust non-answer. Um, yeah. To and and actually work alongside the the poor, the people who really it is good news for, and there's something about that that in my experience, um, personally and and pastorally, it reanimates your faith. Yeah. When faith remains just ideas that you hold to, mm-hmm. if those in ideas, an echo chamber. yeah, in an echo, if, if those ideas become under peril, then everything falls. But if if faith is a way of life, if Christianity is a community you're participating in and a way of engaging with the world, then I feel like it doesn't put as much pressure just on the ideas. Because I don't think Christianity has ever been just about ideas. And when it is, it can't carry that weight on its own. Yeah, even though it's incredibly intellectually robust. I yeah. Mean the, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, some of the world's greatest thinkers of all time. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, and... It, but I don't think it diminishes the intellectual pursuit and the uh, intellectual curiosity that is undergirding many people of faith to say that it's more than just that. So I, I think each piece has has a viable place at the table. Yeah, no, I agree. Hey, to circle back to Beck's podcast, um, the thing that he said about you know Jonathan Hyde's work and helping people be able to have conversations that are conservative and liberal and all those kind of stuff about how people come at it from different starting points. Mm -hmm. Um, I I actually think that is a really helpful insight that he had that I I hope a lot of people heard because it seems like we're talking past each other all the time these days. Um, Where's your starting point? My starting point for faith? Yeah, I mean, just to... The most important thing. I mean, if we just were going to refer to it as like community, intellectual pursuit, uh, way of life engagement, it's intellectual for me. And I think, like my formation started when I started reading my Bible. And and so all the stuff about it's not just intellectual is me reacting to where I started. And -hmm. to understand that like it's, I have to tell myself, no, it's about being connected to other people. No, it's about the way of life, not just what you think. Because that's, I'm probably more preaching to myself than anyone else. Because that's, I would say that's my starting point. What about you? Man, I, I, I don't know. Um, Wouldn't it be community for you since that had such a... Yeah, I think so. I, I was trying to think that through. I think, you know, I was called by a church. I, was, I became a Christian because of those group of people, but maybe so. And that would be more emotional, probably, yeah. than anything. Um, just Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So maybe that's, yeah, that, but I, I just thought that was a helpful thing that Beck brought up about we talk past each other because we're not acknowledging where we're starting from. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, hate's work is super helpful and uh, 
Yeah, I, I love that Brugman brought that in. And yeah, let's, let's all be friends. Theology, sociology, psychology, we can all be friends together. We can learn from each other. Yep. yep. Okay, so next month is Pepperdine, right? Is all Pepperdine? Uh, we've got, um, I've got one with Pete Enns we're going to do out there, Pepperdine. Uh, Don McLaughlin's got a new book we're going to do with him. You want to know what I, I, we almost had this set up. And then the stupid new Star Trek show came out. We were going to do one at Pepperdine uh, with John Barton and Rain Wilson. Of, you almost got that? Yeah, we, we've been working on it for a while. More John, John was working on it How for me. How did Star Trek interfere well, with this? Well, he was, he was interested. He went on a trip. This is Rain Wilson. He was interested, goes on a trip to Haiti. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm really interested. Uh, and then he gets back, and he's offered a role on the new Star Trek show. And so he starts recording the uh, 1st of May up in Toronto. And so he's oh, out of town. Man. So, I know. I know. I was, uh, I was pretty excited about it. Because he's behind. You interview Dwight. I know. I, uh, I already have my opener ready to go. Because it was going to be John, me, and Rain. I was going to say, okay, my first guest, many of you know him from the office of the Bible Department here on campus, John Barton. And there's Rain Wilson. So, um, no, no, no. So we're not going to do the Rain. We've got... Do you uh, remember where Dwight says, Angel introduced me to so many things. Monotheism. <laughs> one of the things. <laughs> uh, such a good show. Oh, that'd have been great. Uh, yeah, so that's not happening. But uh, we've got those, and I've got Greg Boyd has a new massive. I would say book. It's really two books that have come out. Um, we're gonna do one with him. I've got one with Jeremy Courtney, who's the preemptive love yeah. guy. I've got one with him scheduled. Um, I don't know how many of those we're gonna get posted next month, but um, we've got a lot of podcasts coming up. Cool. Well, looking yep. forward to it, man. And you know what? You can also look forward to Podbean, an all-in-one podcasting, publishing, hosting service that has worked wonders for the News for the Norsworthy podcast, along with many churches. So for more information, click on the link in your show notes. Thank you for listening to ads so my kids can go to Disney World. All right, friends. <laughs> Johnny Storm, I'll see you in Malibu. See you then, man. Are you just like already lubing up with uh, sunscreen lotion and face yeah. so you don't burn? You just seem like you get burnt really easy when you're by yeah, the beach. It's real pasty. Yeah. Thanks Pre- a lot. I'm just saying, like, I'm saying you're smart. You think through that stuff. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for your, your concern. I am. It is. Skin cancer, it's, it's, a, it's a beast. No, don't it's mess dope. with it. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't a joke. You, you're not a joke. I love you, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.